Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself wrap up our interview with Dr. Gene Vies. Please sit back and enjoy. Um, I've got a small group that we've been going through family vocation and uh, it's a bunch of guys that we get together and we've been kind of going through that book and it's amazing how applicable <laughs> a lot of the stuff that we covered is during this time now. I mean, here we're mm-hmm. isolated in our homes and we're with our families mm-hmm. and I've tried to encourage the guys as part of that group. And so I just want to thank you for that book, but I want to ask you like, what was that like writing that particular book with your daughter? That must've been <laughs> kind of a neat experience. Well, it was. It was. It was. It was neat. Uh, it was fulfilling. It's also kind of embarrassing and hard because you know talking about you know how fathers should be, uh, knowing that I wasn't necessarily the kind <laughs> of father all, all the time that I was uh, uh, recommending to others, and uh, and so you know that that was you know there was that too, but. Uh, uh, at the same time, it was uh, really good to be drawing on my daughter Mary and let's see her becoming a writer, taking up that vocation too, and uh, and, and working with her on something that you know I hope is helpful to to a lot of people. Uh, but you're right, you know about the coronavirus. Now families, the uh, one of the problems is families, especially fathers, spending very little time with their children mm-hmm. and, and, and devoting very little of their attention sometimes to their marriages. The coronavirus and making people, you know, shelter in place, uh, all of a sudden they're having to uh, spend time together and that that be a good thing. Although I've heard that now uh, cases of child abuse are uh, hospitals are having to deal with more cases of that, which is horrible. But I mean, it's more of a more examples of how um, we've got to recover vocation as a way to mm. to rebuild our families and and yeah. and then to to get back to that kind of well being and and mutual uh, love that that is is God's plan for the family. Uh, but again, the coronavirus, it's its raising that issue too and, and giving people, you know, we say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Now they have nothing but time and I hope, mm-hmm. hopefully people will make some good use of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to, to switch gears here now for a little bit, uh, I'd like to talk about your new book, Post-Christian. Now, 25 years ago, give or take, you wrote Postmodern Times. That was a required textbook for the three of us in seminary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd I'd like to get your take on what has changed in the last quarter century that necessitated this new book, Post-Christian, and and what what is the flow from Postmodern Times to Post-Christian? Well, uh, I think a lot of the things that I talked about in postmodern times uh, have become accelerated. They they become exaggerated. Uh, back then, I was talking about constructivism, constructing ideas. N- now, it, it's to the point that people think they can construct their own gender. 
regardless of what their body says, uh, what they affirm in their mind, whether they're uh, male or female, that's based on their inner affirmation that they construct. Even the body is too objective now. Um, uh, Back then... um, it was talking about constructing reality, but that was before the technology really had, had kicked in. Uh, the internet and computers, that had, had, had started, but it was nowhere near the omnipresent uh, environment that it is today. And so the technology is a big uh, factor in, in, um, in this next book and how these ideas and combined with the technology uh, interact. Um, the sexual revolution has both continued, but it's also changed greatly. Uh, I mean, in that, in postmodern times, I talk about um, the problem of, of, of extramarital sex becoming accepted and now of course you have the complete acceptance of homosexuality uh, but but even more tie it to the technology uh, the phenomenon of internet pornography so that um, I mean I make the case in the book you know once you separate sexuality from having children you take it out of the context of the family. And so it's hard for people to say, well, what's wrong with having sex outside of marriage? I don't need to be married. You know, sex is just a, a, a good feeling. And they, they don't even think of it in terms of its biological uh, function and everything about it and what it's designed for. Um, but then the next step, why shouldn't I have sex with somebody of my own gender? Because... You know, it has nothing to do with reproduction, so why should that even be an issue? Uh, but now, internet pornography, there's no relationship whatsoever. The person is basically having sex with themselves. And, uh, but it's a diminishing of, 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 of sexuality, uh, even as people are making a bigger and bigger deal of it. Then... What what I'm seeing, though, now, too, is a sexual revolution coming apart. And and the Me Too movement is really a reaction against the sexual revolution. It's a counter-revolution where women are are seeing how they have been used and abused by men who were taught back in the 70s that sex is no big deal. And um, I heard a defender of Harvey Weinstein said, well, but when he was growing up, you know, it, it was a different world and they had different attitudes about it. And yeah, and I remember back in those times, books and movies talking about uh, sex being no big deal. And if a woman doesn't want to have sex with you, she has a hang up and uh, it's a psychological problem and we need to get rid of those. And, uh, and, and even plays and things about men seducing women by overcoming their inhibitions against that, presenting that as a positive thing. Now that's being revealed for what it always has been, Mm -hmm. complete 
sexual abuse of other people because sex is a big deal and there has to be moral a moral dimension to it and there has to be limits and self-control and all of a sudden people are thinking in those terms again uh, because sexual uh, um, morality is, is something that you know people defenders of the me too movement they have they don't have the vocabulary or the concepts for it because they don't want to believe in moral absolutes so they talk about other things power and consent and and uh, and other things as being what makes sex good or, or bad but those are ultimately unworkable but but you see it sort of coming to a new realization and one of the things i show in my book is there there there's an arc a progression because the secularist ideas are changing also and so i show in the different sections first i show kind of how things are whether it's about sex or politics or philosophy or technology and then i show the problems that the secularists are running into by virtue of those very ideas, the dead ends they're facing, the contradictions they're coming to. And then I show the, the Christian response to it. And so there's a, a development. Uh, and, and so this book, I think, is actually more positive, more optimistic than the even postmodern times, because a lot of these secularist ideas are kind of self-destructing before our eyes. And in a way, that I think gives Christianity a, a chance to, to step in and to give a, a real alternative. You were, uh, you mentioned that you were fairly optimistic in postmodern times that that at that point in the mid-90s, it was a time for the church to step up and step into these gaps that were being creative. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, every chapter mm-hmm. you were highlighting the opportunities the church had amidst mm-hmm. the constructivism and things to really speak truth into that environment. Uh, do you think now in, in post-Christian, uh, you're even more optimistic about what the church can be doing? Is, did, did we fail for a quarter century and now is another new opportunity, or how does that look? Well, no, I, I don't think it, it's, it's failed, but, but it's, this is a long process. Uh, one of the things you did see in post-modern and post-modernism, and post, talk about in post-modern times, is the uh, irrelevance of, of liberal theology and the kind of rediscover of historic Christianity. Uh, uh, Thomas Oden, um, his, his understanding of, of being postmodern is being is going beyond modernist theology and bringing back the the pre-modern theology into the contemporary context. And that's happened. That's very real. I think confessional Lutheranism is a a good example, which really, I think, emerged as not that it it wasn't, you know, other places, but, but I think, I think that has, 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 has come to the, um, as a more self-conscious movement, uh, kind of part of that, uh, part of that trend. Um, and then what I'm seeing in postmodern, in, in the post-Christian book, uh, 
It's really a study of secularism, and it doesn't mean that Christianity is over by any means, and the title might imply that to some people, but the study of, of secularism. And what I'm seeing is, is not just what the church can do, but how secularism itself is changing and becoming possibly possibly more open to what Christians have to have to say in that um, some of the cutting edge thinkers, you know, you always it was always asked, you know, well what's going to be next? It's modern, postmodern, what's going to be after postmodern? You know, we're running out of words for it. <laughs> but but what some of uh, what Jurgen Habermas and others are saying, kind of cutting edge thinkers, is they're looking to the emergence of what they're calling the post-secular. The post-secular. Hmm. That secularism may be coming to an end. Now, what does that mean? What will a post-secular world look like? Again, and we may be far away from that happening. We may have uh, a ways to go yet. But a post-secular, they're saying that we cannot have things that we take for granted like freedom and justice and, and love you know, without a better foundation than what the seculars are, are giving us. And so this post-secular, they're saying we have to be open to at least some kind of religious or transcendent beliefs. Now, that may well take the form of a new paganism. Now, you look at the nuns, those who say they have no religion, but you look closely at what they believe. Most of them, about three-quarters of them, still believe in a god of some kind. They believe in various kinds of New Age spirituality. And when they say they're spiritual but not religious, they are spiritual, which I think can give Christians an opening with them, especially if we can recover Christian spirituality, mm -hmm. which I think as Lutherans, we have a big advantage with that. But um, post-secular, so, but it, it's a, they're essentially pagan right now, a new kind of paganism. That might emerge, that might be the post-secular uh, uh, mindset that takes over, in which case Christians will be in conflict with that one also. Although <laughs> uh, Christians have done well in converting pagans, uh, we have a good track record with that, but it could mean more persecution and, and who knows what. Mm -hmm. But uh, Or it could mean that there's a new kind of, of Christian influence on the culture uh, as a whole. We'll see how it plays out. Mm -hmm. But the point is, uh, I don't think Christians need to be discouraged when they look at all the secularism and the nuns and, and all the rest of it, uh, because um, you know things are happening, and it isn't just what they do, as we know, as Lutherans know. It's what God does, and uh, you know we'll see what He He mm -hmm. has in mind. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, that's a, I think that's a good place to end our interview here. We want to thank you for your time. And uh, I was trying to keep track of all the, the books of yours that we made reference to, but uh, we certainly appreciate you and your writings and, uh, and, and so on. And thank you for coming uh, on our podcast today. And uh, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more or read more of your works? 
Uh, probably the best place would be my blog at the uh, Pathios. Um, it's, it's Cronach. Uh, go to a uh, search of C-R-A-N-A-C-H. It's named after the, the artist. Mm-hmm. He's the real patron saint of vocation. <laughs> he was an artist, a layman, a printer, a businessman, a politician. Uh, he he, he in, Braces is about all of them. So my my Cronach blog at uh, Pathios uh, will uh, uh, g- bring you into a lot of the things we're discussing and give you links and resources to uh, a lot of other things about vocation and mm-hmm. Lutheranism and th- what's happening today. Well, we always end our uh, podcast with uh, scripture, and I thought it'd be fitting to read Matthew chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please continue to join in as we continue our discussion on the Lutheran Confessions. God bless you and have a great week.